What's up, work advisors? Please lock me away and don't allow the day here inside when I hide with my loneliness. I don't care what they say. I won't stay in a world without love. What's happening? I just sang a song from me to you. But this song is not just any song. This is my favorite Peter and Gordon song. And this is a bonus episode where we get to talk to the legend himself, Peter Asher. If you don't know Peter Asher, he's the other half of the duo, Peter and Gordon. And I just sang one of their hit songs. You know, now that I'm in the music biz, I got to really start thinking about, like, do I want blue Skittles or red Skittles in the room before I get on stage to perform? I got to start thinking about that. But enough about me. Uh, Peter Asher, real life legend, Grammy award winning producer, host of Sirius XM's Beatles channel, was kind enough to talk to us. And I want to drop this episode so you can hear a little bit about Peter himself. But before we get to that, you know we like good reviews here at Work Advice for Me. If you're listening on iTunes and Spotify, please like and subscribe. Leave us a good review. Now that I'm in the music biz, I only like good reviews. Man, I'm having some fun today. This is a great day because it's a bonus episode, and it's Peter Asher. I mean, who doesn't like Peter Asher? If you have a question, email the show, workadviceforme at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram. We have cool stuff on there. Work advice for me. It's pretty easy to find. You'll see it. But (laughs) I know you're excited to hear about A World Without Love, which I just sang to you. I mean, Peter's a great singer. He'll sing it better than I can. But I got to be honest, rate my singing. Do I have a career in the music biz? Should I start thinking right now, do I want Red Skittles and only Red Skittles in my dressing room? Never really had a dressing room. I'd like to have a dressing room one day just for something. Just so I can say to my wife, I told you I could get a dressing room. Anyway, I'm rambling. Let's get to the chat with Peter Asher. So, without further ado, turn off Peter and Gordon's World Without Love, which I just serenaded you with. And you can listen to the legend himself, Peter Asher. So first, I just want to say I'm so glad that you you've you chose to come on here and let me chat with you for for a few minutes. To me, you're you're a legend, and I'm just I've been so excited to chat with you. And I want to ask you, what was your childhood like? Oh, it was great. You know, I mean, I grew up. My mother was a professional musician, as you may know. She was a classical oboe player, um, and uh, taught oboe at the Royal Academy of Music in London. And my father was a, a doctor, and you know. A, two sisters, and uh, we were a happy family. Still are. What's left of it? And uh, so it was, it was good. What what kind and of... I, I had some odd things, obviously, in that I was a child actor as well. So I sort of, that was my entry into show business. You know, it was when, when I was eight, I did my first movie. Uh, what was it like shifting... What was it like working on a movie at eight years old? Oh, it was great. You know, uh, uh, my mother was played by Claudette Colbert, the famous American actress, and, you know, that that was exciting, and, and I, I enjoyed the process. I, I, I liked acting, and as did, you know, I and both my sisters got some acting parts quite early on. I enjoyed it. Okay, so when you go from acting to music, when did your love for music start? Was it early on since your mother was a musician, 
or yeah. when? Yeah. It was? I grew up in a classical music background, so it was the, the kind of music changed, but my love of music was was there, I think, the minute I heard it. I mean, I, I grew up, obviously, listening to a lot of classical music, and my mother was in various orchestras and touring and, and so on. That was the, the first, that was the beginning of the period of time when they let women join the orchestras at all. The big orchestras were all men until the war, when the men were off in the army and, and as in so many things, women were being allowed in just like America happened in baseball in America and things like mm-hmm. that. So, um, I grew up listening to a lot of classical music and then, you know, when I discovered essentially American music, jazz and rock and roll and rhythm and blues and stuff that, that, uh, hit a chord with me and, and I ended up falling in love with it as did so many of us in Britain at the time. Who was a, who was an artist or a band that you followed before you, you know, hit the mainstream? Uh, Buddy Holly, Everly Brothers, um, Elvis, you know, and, and, and a, a lot of jazz. I listened essentially to Bebop, Charlie Parker, and Dizzy Gillespie, Thelonious Monk, that whole team, and, uh, and in addition to that, Woody Guthrie and Lead Belly and the whole folk world. But the, the one thing all those kinds of music had in common, of course, is that they were all American in origin. Do you do you think music for you would you would you rather be on screen or or performing music? Oh, they're entirely different. I couldn't. That's a, that's a weird choice, you know. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the fact that I got to do both. Yeah, well, yeah, you're very fortunate to do both. So, when did you when did you meet Gordon? At school. At school. Did, oh, did y'all yeah. hit, did y'all hit it off immediately? Uh. No, I mean, I think we we graduated. I mean, I think I think we met because we both noticed each other walking around carrying a guitar case. So we knew we both played the guitar, and I think that's what we initially ended up talking about. And and of course, once you find you have in common this this love for pop music, um, in, in the most general sense, that's what we started talking about. And when we started singing together, just really because we both played and sang and tried doing it together to see what happened. You know, in that instance, our our idols, of course, were the Everly Brothers. So we were trying to sound as much like them as we could. But that's how we met. Okay, so I want, I want to ask you this because I've been wondering this. So when you and Gordon got together and y'all were bandmates, how did y'all settle differences with each other? Because you couldn't always agree on where you wanted to go and what the direction was. How did y'all work on that together? Uh Conversation, you know, we we never we were lucky. We never had any giant rows. We, you know, we of course we had some disagreements, but unlike the Everly Brothers, we never had gigantic "don't speak to each other for two years" or any of that nonsense rows. You know, we would we would work things out. You know, and even when you we went your com- when you went your separate ways, y'all stayed close, right? Not really. No, um, when we went our separate ways. Gordon moved to Australia for a while. He was in Canada for a while. Um, and no, we, you know, we we didn't particularly we we stayed in touch. We were alienated, but we weren't close. No. Oh, so coming up with the name, I, I was thinking this too. Was there ever a time where it was like, let's go, Gordon and Peter, or because yes. I think Peter and Gordon uh, flows yes. way better. Yes, we were Gordon and Peter when we first got together. Um, it seemed logical. I mean, Gordon was the lead singer and so on, so we put his name first. Uh, it was actually after we got a record deal with EMI that they told us that their marketing people or whatever had had been t- 
testing the names and and that Peter and Gordon felt better to everybody, so they were switching it. And so they they probably ended up putting me first. So who was I to complain? I couldn't. I was happy with the change, but but uh, it was it was purely based on the fact that that people felt that Peter and Gordon was a catchier name than Gordon and Peter for some reason, which I guess it is, or maybe it's just because we're used to it. I don't know. It does roll off the tongue a lot better. It's easier to say yeah. that way. Uh, well, that's what they thought. Yeah. Your your hit, your first hit was incredible. Everyone would know that song if they pulled it up right now listening. That had to be amazing. What was the what was it like for you guys when you had this hit World Without Love come out? Was it just a big rush? Was it celebration? Yes. Yes. I mean, rather in a way kind of an obvious answer, but yes, it was. You know, you you, you tend to take things for granted when you're that age. You know, oh good, you know we 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 formed a little duo. That's nice. Oh look, we got signed by a big record company. That's cool. Oh look, we came across this great song and made this record, and it came out pretty good. And now it's number one all over the world. Fantastic, you know. So yes, there were occasions. In each of those were occasions for celebration, but we didn't really realize that each of those was a million to one odds that we'd just beaten. You know. Because at the time, you kind of go, oh, that's cool. You don't go, my God, this is like winning the lottery, which, of course, is what it actually is in terms of odds. What's your What's your favorite song that you and him recorded? I Go to Pieces, uh, the Del Shannon song. It just, I, I, it's a song that really, I mean, the most important song, obviously, in our career is World Without Love, and there's some other big Peter and Gordon hits that are important. But I Go to Pieces is one where I always felt it. <laughs> it came out pretty well, you know. I think it's a record that uh, that still sounds good to me to this day, and so I suppose I would I would categorize that as my favorite, along inevitably with "World Without Love" because that's the song that changed my life. I like "True Love Ways." I love y'all's y'all's. Uh... Thank you. Yeah, that's a, it's a that's a good version of "True Love Ways." I love Buddy Holly, but in that one case, I have to admit, I think our record that we made of that of his song is better than the record he made of his song. It, it is. At least I, I, I agree. And a boy with uh, a boy with nothing with, is my personal favorite. Right. Thanks. Yeah. But okay. So you you, you had this great you know career as a musician, but you're also a producer and a manager, and I want to get into that for a quick second because you you had to to be a producer. Explain to the audience what what that entails and what you do as a well, producer. Well, producers are different. There's no there's no formula, you know. And and the funny part is, of course, we don't really know what each other do. We know whose records we like, but none of us were in the studio when each other were producing records. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's it's really it, it it it's a very flexible art, but. Uh, the producer does whatever it takes to get the best possible record made, I suppose is the answer. And you, you're, you're responsible for, you know, the musicians, the studio, the song choice, the everything. And, and you're, and in conjunction with the artist, you work out how to make the best possible record of, the, of, of whatever you've decided to do and what's going to frame that artist's performance the best. And the minute I, I was first in the studio and, and, as an artist and watching what a producer did, I thought that was the coolest job in the world. You could hire great musicians better than yourself and tell them what to do. I thought that was brilliant. So um, I decided then and there that I wanted to try producing records. And and luckily I got the opportunity to do so. What was the first record you produced? 
It was a single <clears throat> by Paul Jones. Um, Paul Jones, who was the lead singer in Manfred Mann, if you recall. Mm -hmm. Do I Diddy and those hits, that was him. <clears throat> Terrific singer and great harmonica player. He asked me to produce some tracks with him, so I owe him a debt of gratitude for that. And um, that was the first record I ever produced. It was a BG song called And the Sun Will Shine by Paul Jones. It was a very modest hit. It crept into the charts and crept out again without most people noticing it wasn't really a hit. So when you are producing, what's it like having to deal with artists? You know, you, you talked earlier about how you and Gordon, y'all really worked simpatico together. Y'all were great together. You, you handled differences easily. What's it like when you're producing an artist? Is it, is it the same way or do you have to handle and approach them in a different way? Every artist is different, you know, you, 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 and they, they do, you do treat them in different ways, um, because they work in different ways. So, yes, uh, the answer to your question, are, are they all different? Yes. So it makes it hard to answer the question in any greater depth, really, because each project you approach in a different way from pre-production when you're just sitting down with the artist talking through the song choices or talking through arrangement ideas to the actual completion of the record and the mixing and all that stuff. You know, you 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 are you are sort of in charge of the whole thing in conjunction mm -hmm. with the artist, who of course comes first. What is your shining moment? Your favorite thing that you have produced outside, but not not been in front of? Like you produced the what album have you produced that you were like that was the best album I've ever produced? Um, I. I wouldn't pick one because, you know, very often it's what you did most recently, you know, mm -hmm. the current most proud of or what you're going to do next. But, you know, I think I'd, the answer, my answers would be kind of obvious. You know, I think Sweet Baby James would qualify, A Heart Like a Wheel, the Linda Ronstadt album would qualify. There's some records, like a record I did with Amanda Marshall, a great Canadian singer that I love that it was not as successful outside of Canada as I thought it should be. Um, and uh, but I, I wouldn't pick a favorite overall. I don't think they're all different. So what what is next for you right now? Like what are you what are you what are you doing right now? Um, well, I recently finished this um, album with Susanna Hoffs, you know, from the Bangles, who are singing I've always loved, and that's been out for a few weeks now, um, and that's doing well. And uh, I'm not sure what's next. There's two or three projects under discussion at the moment, so I don't know what's next in the studio. In the meantime, I still get to do a lot of gigs. You know, I, I go out on the road quite often, sometimes with Albert Lee, sometimes with uh, Jeremy Clyde of Chad and Jeremy, mm -hmm. and, and most often just by myself with a couple of musicians. And I enjoy doing that, and I've got some of those gigs coming up shortly. Uh, actually, next week I go to Nashville spend a week with Rodney Crowell, the brilliant Nashville song or songwriter who does like a songwriting camp seminar thing mm -hmm. with a couple hundred people there. And I'm, I'm going to be part of that. I'm, I'll be sort of critiquing the songs and lecturing and stuff with these aspiring songwriters in Nashville, which should be interesting. I love Rodney. He's, he's a pal and he asked me to come do it. So that's, that's the most immediate project is that one. So a couple more questions. Um, do you still get the rush now that you got back in the 60s when you were on stage? No, a uh, totally different kind of thing. I mean, back then it was crazy, as you know. You know, you're going out and there'd be 
girls screaming and throwing things at you and, and you know, uh, all the mania of the 60s British invasion mania, which was incredible fun, but it wasn't very musical, you know, the, and technologically the world was very different. You couldn't, PAs were terrible, there were no monitors, there were no, let alone in-ears and all the cool stuff we have now. So musically it was, it was awful, um, you know, very difficult. Like when you watch that Beatles movie eight days a week about what live gigs were actually like back in the sixties, you realize how primitive and, and difficult it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a rush because the crowd was going completely insane, you know. And now the crowd is actually listening, which, when you get right down to it, is much more exciting because you actually are communicating with them in a musical way, and not just in a "I'll wave at you and you scream" way. So. They, they, they're, it's not the same rush because circumstances have changed radically, you know. Now you're talking about an audience that can listen to pretty decent sound and really hear how well you are or are not singing. And so you, the performance becomes, you know, a whole other thing. And it's also longer, you know, back in the day, a headliner set in a show with multiple acts on it, which all of them were, would be like 20 minutes, half, and the Beatles would do half an hour. I was going to say with the Beatles, but now you do a couple of hours and you're up there for a while and you take the music seriously. So it's a different kind of rush entirely now. Did you say the Beatles would only do a half an hour? Correct. Wow. That's not very long at all. That's only, what, five, six, seven songs maybe? Yep. Wow. That's crazy. Right. I, and and you, you guys, you, you and Gordon would only do a half an hour also? Yeah, sometimes less, sometimes twenty minutes, depending on how many acts there were in the show. Oh wow, that's amazing! I I never thought that. If you look it up, you're, all the shows then were multiple acts, and and nobody did it. The Beatles did it half an hour. So when the Beatles were not doing multiple acts, were they they were singing longer than that, right? No, they always did multiple. They were, they were, no, they never sang more than half an hour that I'm aware of. Oh wow! Oh, that's amazing! I did not know that. That's something I've learned today. That's different. Um, so preparing for it, I guess you're right. You, it was probably so loud you couldn't even hear yourself back then, right? There, well, you couldn't hear yourself for two reasons. One, they hadn't invented monitor systems. You know, nowadays mm-hmm. people have monitor systems so, so that they can hear themselves. So one, you couldn't hear yourself at all. The Beatles talk about that in eight days a week, which if you haven't seen, you should see. It's a great movie. Um, um, they, they talk about that. That you know, they that Ringo says he could only figure out where they were in the song by watching you know, the Beatles in front of him, but the other three playing, he knew where they were in the song. He couldn't hear them at all. And so it was extremely different. So number one, the girls were screaming very loudly. And two, the technological system of hearing yourself did not exist at all. Wow. Uh, last thing I want to ask you, you, you recently had, you had brain surgery. Are you recovering okay? Yes, I'm fine. Thank you. That's- recovered. That's incredible. That's really good. And last thing I want to ask you, it's a silly question, but I like hypotheticals. Uh, you know, if you if you had to be blind or deaf, which one would you choose? Uh, <laughs> that, that is very hypothetical, but yeah. I, I suppose I, I really don't know because I'd miss music, but I'd miss reading equally. So <laughs> I think I, I, I'd rather, I can't answer that one <laughs> because, I, I, you know, the idea of not being able to read would be a, would appall me and the... And the idea of not, but the idea of not being able to hear music again would be equally appalling. So I, I, I couldn't decide. I would not want to go without listening to music. I think that's the you can visualize so many things from a song. Yeah, but you can never see a movie or read a book. True. Stuff. 
You sound you sound like people I know that always say that same thing back to me when I say hypothetically. Hey, uh, yeah. Peter, thank you for taking some time to chat with me and uh, best wishes and we'll continue to follow your career. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye now. Okay. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Peter Asher. Thank you, Peter Asher, for joining Work Advice for Me. If you enjoy this conversation and all our conversations, Please like and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, any platform you're listening to. Leave us a good review. Peter would want you to leave a good review. And even put in the review that you listen to Peter Asher. Go download some of Peter's songs on Spotify. I promise you, you will enjoy them. Also, you can like and subscribe. Do you subscribe on iTunes? No. You subscribe, you follow on Instagram. So follow our page, Work Advice for Me on Instagram. And... Also, if you have any questions that you would like to have answered by me or by B or maybe by the person we chatted with, email the show workadviceforme at gmail.com or slide into those DMs on Instagram and we will do our best to answer them. Thank you, Hopecast, for making this possible. Thank you, Peter Asher. Thank you for listening. My name is Brad and this is Work Advice for Me and I'll catch you on the flip side.